0: Greetings. My name is Griffin Schaefer. And my name is Scott Peterson. And this is uh, episode 132 of Inside Quizzing. A podcast about Bible quizzing for folks who love the Bible. And in this episode 132, Scott and I will be talking about statistics. Everything that you ever wanted to know about how to run statistics. But I will admit this is... A selfishly selected topic category because I need to learn how to run statistics for an H2 meet uh, very quickly. And um, we'll talk a little bit about why. And uh, ultimately, this is my opportunity to interview Scott, who knows many things. Uh, probably is the most knowledgeable person about quizzing statistics on the planet, actually, at this point. So it will be a great opportunity for me to learn, and you guys can learn along with me. Uh, before we jump into that topic, I do want to do a couple of recap things and update things regarding P&W quizzing. So the first is that the ABC meet, or District Meet number 5, just concluded last weekend. It was magnificent and fun. Uh, we were able to see a lot of great quizzing across the, the rooms and uh, the food. Oh, my goodness. Uh, the Kent uh, Church provided the lunch and it was fantastic. So uh, it was very exciting to see everybody. And it was a wonderful meet. Well, and upcoming very nearly soon. Uh, I think it's like three weeks away or a little bit less than three weeks away is the Great West Invitational up in the Great West of the Canada and so we did have a short meeting right at the end of the abc meet with the folks who were there who were eligible and have uh, and are able to attend and uh there's going to be a lot of updates going back and forth so if you are part of that group if you are a parent of a quizzer who qualified and is it going to be attending great west uh you should be on an email list that I'm going to be shipping out all kinds of updates to over the next 24 to 72 hours or so. If you did not get me your email address and you would like to be on that, please let me know. Uh, Just email me either at the show uh, IQ at CBQZ.org or just G at CBQZ.org. And I'll make sure that your email address is included. And then of course, in terms of PNW quizzing, we have our season ending district championship meet that is coming up in a couple months, month and a half, something like that. Um, It's not too far away. It will again be up at Double K uh, Retreat Center up in the Cascade Mountains, similar to last year. There was a uh, widely considered to be a fantastic meet uh, location. Everybody seemed to have an enormous amount of fun and uh, so we're going to be doing that again uh, this year, and it is a wonderful opportunity to invite your friends and even your family members, if you like your family members, to come up and experience the camp and experience what quizzing is. So if you've got friends who are quizzing curious, uh, District Championships is definitely the meet to invite them to. Because uh, it's really, it's just sort of the crown jewel of, of the season. So it'll be great to uh, see uh, new faces there and uh, have a great uh, quiz meet. All right. So, with all that said, let's jump into our first topic, which, or actually our only topic, which is statistics. So, Scott, I had an interesting experience at the ABC Meet. Uh, I did not actually get an RSVP from my statisticians, and I was actually worried <laughs> that I wasn't going to have any status for the meet. So just prior to the ABC meet, I threw together some spreadsheets to be able to track some totals to be able to give us uh, things like uh, calculating team positions and individual averages across the meet. And it was pretty minimalistic. I'd call it a minimum viable product for the meet itself. And, um, Then when I got to the meet, it sort of dawned on me that, well, actually, I'm going to be quiz mastering. I'm also going to be training a new uh, quiz master, and I'm also not sure if I have a scorekeeper for my room, so I'm going to have to do all of those things plus uh, run stats for the meet, and it quickly dawned on me that, oh, no, this is going to be a train wreck of epic proportions. Fortunately, I was incredibly blessed like three times over. Number one, my quiz master in training was magnificent. She picked everything up really, really quickly and did a fantastic job. I had uh, Kim, uh, G- Craig and Kim came back uh, visiting the meet and Kim was my scorekeeper. And of course, she did a fantastic job. And uh, then my scorekeeper, or not my scorekeepers, my 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 two statisticians arrived at the meet uh, just a few minutes after we started, and they did a fantastic job running the stats. So what was going to be an incredibly stressful meet for me, where I was going to be completely wiped out, and it was going to be a train wreck of an experience, actually turned out to be quite a uh, enjoyable, relaxing. I just I I helped train the uh, the new quiz master a bit and uh, did a few logistical things around the meat but otherwise it was a a pretty a pretty easygoing pretty good experience for me Uh, and i got to enjoy other people enjoying the meat as well but that said scott what are let's start with like what is the minimum viable product for statistics for if you want to do it like at a meet level first and then jump into a quiz, quiz level or do we want to talk like what do you need to do as a scorekeeper maybe that that's probably the first thing the minimal thing that you need to do there working up upwards to a meet and then upwards to a, a, a season what's the best place to start probably within a quiz okay um how much should we go
1: over because we've done a scorekeeping episode in the past
0: yeah we talked about scorekeeping in the past in terms of like all of the things that a scorekeeper ought to do, but what is the absolute minimum that that is necessary for a scorekeeper to
1: record? I think the minimum is actually, there's not a, a great minimum because you kind of have to know all of the scoring rules. You do have checks checks and balances from the, the coaches if they're keeping score, but you are the score of record. And so you you really should be able to keep the team score uh, accurately, which means knowing all of the error points and um, bonuses and stuff like that.
0: Yeah. And I mean, there's a fair bit that needs to get recorded that doesn't necessarily need to progress beyond the quiz. So uh, for example, like I need, at, at the statistician level, what what's the minimum that the stats, uh, the stats guys need to have from... particular quiz. They they don't really need to know, you know, uh, a chair three of team two got question seven correct. They just need to know, like, or, or like, and they don't necessarily need to know the um, the type distributions either. They just need to know, okay, uh, Quizzer one got this score, Quizzer two got this score. This team won first place with such and such points. And in fact, I don't even think they really need to know. Well, for prelims, they don't need to know the positions; they just need to know the points. Uh, and then for uh, brackets, they don't they don't even need to know the points; they just need to know the positions. Right? Is this age? Two still? Yeah. Yeah. We're entirely talking about H two okay. only.
1: So in prelims, you do need to know positions to be able to calculate the points.
0: Yeah. Assuming, uh, yeah. Assuming, assuming that the uh, scorekeeper didn't do that though. So like I'm thinking of it as almost like a program, which is probably not the best way to think about it, but like if the scorekeeper is a, is a class that's going to, uh, you know, expose a method that returns, a data structure what is the minimalist data structure that needs to get passed to the statistician uh class uh per- and- perfect question yeah
1: so all the statistician needs is placement for each team and score for each team and by score i mean like the raw 140 or 60 points um so that's all that the statistician needs for teams and then for quizzers the only thing the statistician needs is number of correct and number of errors and that's for only reg- non-bonus questions mm, okay right yeah and so there was a score sheet template in the past that would requ- it asked the scorekeeper to generate an individual quizzer's score and just put that in one column so you would see like quizzer 1 got a 30 and quizzer 2 got a 60 Well, when I was a statistician, I found that one of the most common scorekeeper errors was a quizzer who got two correct and one incorrect, but the one that they got incorrect was on question 17 or later, which resulted in negative 10 for the team's total, but doesn't for the quizzer. Well, it was very common for a scorekeeper to record that quizzer's individual score as 30,
0: Mm.
1: which was incorrect. And so I said, I don't need you to be calculating this stuff. I just need you to tell me total right and total wrong for a quizzer, um, because the calculation shouldn't have to be done twice. It can, it can be done in one spot and I can do it.
0: Did you, did you have experiences where you would see scorekeepers alter the correct or incorrect based on bonuses? So in other words, a a quizzer would get a bonus correct. It would actually go to their correct score or they would get a bonus error and it would go to their incorrect score or, and it shouldn't say score like some totals, I guess. Yeah. Um, that definitely would happen, which is why
1: I was so pedantic about there was one notation for every given event and that, and the scorekeeper had to put that. Mm. And so I would provide feedback to them of, you know, this quizzer got a bonus and it was a 20 point bonus and you wrote 20 in that one cell. That's incorrect. You need to write B20 big. And that was so that, when I was checking the scorekeeper's work, I could scan for the B's in a given quizzer's row, and I could see like, oh, three right, one wrong, and then a bonus. Does the total correct and total incorrect match? Mm. okay. And so notation was really important there. Um, Really the hardest, hmm, it's not really the hardest thing, but all the statistician is doing is moving data from one template to a different template. (laughs) Sure. And the first template is optimized for a scorekeeper to input data for one quiz. And the second template is for the statistician is optimized for the statistician to generate meet or year stats. And it's the like moving between the two that is manual and very error prone.
0: Yeah. Okay. So when you're, so let's say you're, let's move on to the statistician then. So what is the minimal amount of like... Minimal amount of work, minimum amount of things that a statistician needs to do. I mean, obviously, during prelims, they need to track or calculate and track uh, total points per team. They need to track um, user averages. But it sounds like you're suggesting all I really need to do is track total number of correct, total number incorrect, and total number of quizzes, Right. No, you you have to do it for each
1: quiz. Okay. Because if a quizzer got four O in one quiz, that that computes to a ninety. Sure. And so I need total correct and total incorrect per quiz, and then I um, convert that into one score. But I don't want the scorekeepers doing that conversion, just because of the error
0: probability. Yep. Okay. And I mean some of this. Some of this can be templated in, um, you know, either Excel or Google sheets or something like that, um, ahead of time probably makes exactly.
1: Most... And that's why the template that Canadian Midwest used would just do the sums and the score conversion for the scorekeeper. And so like, and it had all sorts of error validation where if it could see that, one team aired and then another team aired and then a quizzer got a correct question so this has to be a bonus and it wouldn't let you put it in as a regular correct and so all of the team score and individual score was always correct because of that error validation
0: okay all right what else does a statistician need to know so for prelims you need to be keeping
1: the running total of team score or points however you're, you are separating teams into brackets you also need to be tracking anything that you might need to use for a tiebreaker. So in PNW, there was a time where if teams were tied for ninth or 18th, we would do a 15-question tiebreaker quiz. And so I was always – and that would always mess the entire schedule up. And so I was always tracking that very carefully so that I knew immediately if that was going to happen mm-hmm. <laughs> or as soon as, as soon as I could know. But we thankfully moved away from that and said, hey, we're just going to use tiebreakers. And I believe the tiebreakers were first um, head-to-head, if they faced each other, and then placements. And so you you have to have a way to look up where did these two teams face each other. And then you also have to have a way, if you are breaking the tie based off of placements, to know how many first seconds or thirds each of those teams took in prelims. So that was... I was tracking that along with um, the team scores, and then the next line of tiebreakers was total errors, so I was also tracking that. And those were the th- kind of the three things for each quiz. A team had a score, a placement, and, and a total number of errors. So I was I had that running for the entire
0: prelim. And this is purely a P and W ism. Uh, that wouldn't be able to scale beyond unless a district decided they wanted to implement that way of breaking ties, right? Right, right. There's nothing in the rule book that says that's how you should create brackets.
1: Mm. It's just the way that PNW did it.
0: Is there anything in the rules that prevents that from happening? I mean, was it something that we had to write an override for?
1: No. Okay. Yeah, because the rules, there's nothing in the rulebook that says, I mean, yeah, it just... It says once you have chosen a bracket type, this is what it looks like. It doesn't tell you how you get there.
0: Yeah, or or this is what it could look like. It gives you a couple of different options, yeah. Well, more than a couple, but yeah. Okay. And it, like even
1: when the rulebook defined that 15 or 20 question two-team tiebreaker quiz, it didn't say this is the scenario that this quiz is used. It just says if you decide to use it, these are the rules.
0: <laughs> right, right. Yeah and of course I've always been a, a not a big fan of tiebreaker quizzes I've also not been a fan of you know 15 question quizzes uh, or even two team 20 question quizzes like they've all felt misaligned and unequal relative to the other quizzes so there's there's a there's a strange moment when you have that it's sort of like a a a different quiz it's almost like a mini meet within the larger meet under different rules or or even though it's not different rules but a different sort of weighting or balancing scenario uh behind the value of things
1: yeah i think
0: a really nice thing about quizzing is how balanced
1: the 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 competitive structure is you know with three teams 20 questions air outs you sit out a team sits out after the air and all that is really really well balanced i think and it's it's at worst poorly balanced in a two-team tiebreaker quiz but at best it's differently balanced or at least um it's balanced in a way that you're you're not really you don't usually compete under and so it's weird to make teams. Kind of adapt mid meet to something just for a tiebreaker purpose, right? Indeed.
0: All right. So then, reporting stats like at the end of the meet, or then you know, in terms of uh, you know, coaches or quizzers being interested in statistics between meets, like the minimalist thing that's necessary. Of course, we need to know what what are the final team placements for the for the meet, and we need to know the final. Uh, individual averages for each uh, for each quizzer. Um, And then there might be other sorts of things that might be useful to know. So like in PNW, we have a rookie of the meat award or rookie uh, rookie award, which is basically the the rookie quizzer who scored the highest on their individual average for the meat who hasn't yet won that award for the year. So each meat, it's a different rookie who who wins the award uh but so of course we need to know then who are rookies and then who are rookies who have already run won the award so then we can just say okay well who's the highest of the rookies that are remaining and then they get the they get the reward for or the award which is a reward for whatever um whatever meet it happens to be beyond that i mean is there is that it in terms of minimal viable or am I missing anything? And of course, the meat reward is something that's purely a PWism and that, that we invented. It's not part of the, the core rule set uh, for H2. There's nothing else that you really have to
1: show. I think it can be helpful to provide as much data as you can, which lets any quizzer or coach just check anything that they want to check. So if you either, you know, I think a lot of districts have total points, you know, they have a total points column, uh, a number of quizzes column, and then the average. And so you can kind of, you have more underlying data there if you want to check something. Um, they might have a total errors or an accuracy um, column, which can have, can be of competitive interest, right, to people. But it's also more data to that you can check to make sure that your, your score was calculated correctly.
0: Right, right. Well, so now that we've covered the minimal, uh, well, and okay, okay, let's take it a step further. So that's for a meet. Let's go minimum for a season. I need to know individual averages, uh, across each meet and then weighted based on whatever weighting is going to happen. This is something that's entirely outside the core rule set, something that PNW does. We actually take our first three district meets and they're weighted at 10% each, but you drop the lowest score of those uh, three meets. Then the fourth meet is weighted at 25%. The fifth meet is weighted, sorry, 20%. And then Mm -hmm. the fifth meet is weighted at 25%. And then district championships is weighted at 35%. So Uh, you you know, the first three are, are pretty low weighted and then it just keeps ratcheting up pretty hardcore. The idea being that, um, you know, comprehensive knowledge of the material plus, uh, breaking late in the season is better than, uh, say, you know, scoring really well up front and then kind of slowing down as the season goes on. So, it, str- it strongly encourages continuing to memorize as the season progresses rather than resting on the information that you've already memorized up front. So uh, I think that's a, that's a good incentive structure, but that means we have to be tracking that and reporting that across the season. Is there anything else that we need to be uh, in terms of MVP for a season? I don't think so. Okay. I, th- I think, I mean, that main
1: picture... I, the way that I always found it very clean to report was whether a quizzer was present and scored a zero or was not present, they just show up on the score sheet as a zero. There's no other um, way of denoting that they were not present mm. um, because it doesn't matter for scores, right? Or at least in PNW. I don't know if it's different in other districts. Um, and then it shows all of your individual mean averages and then it shows your year to date Average, I I usually liked. I always had it listed what the weights were for the individual meats, but nowhere does it show that intermediate step of the value from one meat weighted, right? It only shows it all
0: rolled up for that final year-to-date stat. Right. Okay. So then now that we've got the minimal viable taken care of, what are what are like sort of the, it would be really cool if we had it and let's maybe start at the quiz level and kind of work, work our way up. Um, I mean, certainly I think at a quiz level, if a quiz room has the capability of, of displaying the score in some, in some way, like a projected scoreboard of some kind of, uh, or a, or a physical scoreboard, you know, if we, you know, some, there's some of that technology still, around from the from the old days uh, I think that's um, that adds to the engagement both for quizzers but a, but especially for spectators is there anything else that we can do at at a quiz level to be able to sort of add into this I think there's a
1: ton that you could add so we've talked about broadcasting quizzing having a play-by-play announcer and a color commentator having a way to show the audience members only what the a- correct answer is and even potentially a way of highlighting the portions that a quizzer has gotten correct already and, and then what they haven't yet gotten. Um, those are all things outside of kind of the score when it comes to a quiz. But thinking specifically about the score, I, I don't know if I would want this to be visible to the participants. But you could show um, like above each quizzer on the scoreboard – If they were to get the very next question right, how many points would they get? Right, right. Mm -hmm. Right? Because it it could be 20 for some of them and it could be 30 for some of them Um, and it could be 40 for – no, it can't be 40 because if you're getting a third or fourth quiz or bonus, you're also – you can't be quizzing out that error. Um, So it would max at 30. You could also at any point in the quiz um, generate the total possible score a team can accrue.
0: Hmm.
1: Okay. Yeah, right. Uh, Um, and that was what I was thinking of. You wouldn't want to show the participants because, um, if your two opponents, their highest possible score that they can get is lower than what you're currently at. You would, you would want to stop jumping now. And I wouldn't want that team to be able to know that without knowing it themselves already. If that makes sense. Right. Um, it's kind of like an NFL team. You know, it's, it's up to them to know that there's so little time on the clock that they can take a, a knee, kneel for a whole play um, or multiple plays, and they would be able to win the game. But, like, you know, you can calculate that. You can show timeouts left. Um, you could also show, like, question types that have been asked and question types left. You can also show, especially if you're in prelims, um, running team points totals right indeed I I, I always thought that that was something I wished I mean it probably wouldn't have changed my actions very much but I wished I knew like oh I'm in I'm 10 questions into my final prelim and it would be awesome to know if my team is 8th or 12th or you know like should I just win the next 10 jumps if I can
0: yeah or or You know, uh, uh, and then relative to, you know, are you eighth and by how much, right? How much do you need to move? Or or if you're uh, probably a little bit better of a scenario, you're in 10th place. How much do you need to get into ninth? Um, That that would be a pretty important thing to know. Exactly. Yeah. And I mean, to what degree do you project that for the quizzers? Um, I I don't know. Um, Probably not a ton, But I don't know that it's necessarily a bad thing to have provided for coaches. So I'm imagining a scenario where, let's say you've got a projected scoreboard for the room that just shows you kind of what we already have in terms of projected score, but then a coach can have on their you know, phone or tablet or, or laptop or whatever, they can have a sort of an enhanced view that includes things like uh, what the question and answer are for each given question, that kind of thing. So not a good idea, I think, to I, I don't know, it, it would be up to a coach to discuss this with their team. I think it would be a bad idea for a coach to go over a, a correct or incorrect Response slash answer uh, during a timeout. I I think it's better to do that after the quiz. You know, focus on the next question rather than figuring out what happened in a previous uh, in a previous uh, question. Especially since you know by that point challenges don't matter. So just you're just using up energy focusing on something that doesn't you can't change anymore. (laughs) So you know do that do that after the quiz. Um, But I think it would be kind of neat for a coach to be able to have some of the access to the, some of this data during the quiz. And then I think more valuable than access mid quiz would be to have the data after the quiz so that, you know, during the ride home or during a practice later in, you know, in a couple weeks later, you can then go back and say, okay, well in quiz seven of, of, or six or whatever of prelims, here's something that happened on question 12. Let's talk about it. Um, and you can actually see uh, the question, the answer, the results, all that kind of stuff, like loaded in. I think that would be a uh, pretty choice. It would be. And
1: I mean, I would have loved to know which quizzers got which types correct. You kind of knew pretty quickly if there were some really specific specialists. And that's where the information is really useful. But, you know, yeah, I think that would be that that would be potentially useful.
0: Right. Right, right. Well, so any other kind of things that we can think of sticking with A2? Any kind of ideal reports? I mean, obviously, we'd want to be able to have, ideally, some way of digging into these stats uh, to a greater degree, uh, and then running data and reports on them. I mean, CBQZ, in its the app in its current form provides some exposure to this data to a degree Uh, i don't think it actually exposes the question and the answer but it'll expose the type uh, and then you can do kind of a play-by-play of the quiz itself Uh, not exactly an easy thing to export but i mean theoretically somebody could get to that but I i think to your point it'd be kind of great to say like show me a graph of or uh, or based on you know slicing up the data between users or not users uh quizzers versus type uh, question types uh versus uh you know t- first 10 questions versus last 10 questions these kind of things so you could say like okay well this particular quizzer or this particular team tends to be a little bit more stealth in the first 10 questions then starts to explode in the second half of the quiz, they tend to focus on these kind of question types, you know, that, that sort of strategy could be, uh, could be very interesting. It could be,
1: I, I didn't keep a data at the question level because even though I had all the score sheets, I didn't have, a, like every single question asked, the type was not denoted. Right. Mm, and so yeah. without all the data, it wasn't really worth using a subset of it, but I tracked every, what I called a quizzer quiz or quiz, so each row of data was a quizzer and a quiz, and I could have all the data related to the quizzer. If they were a third, fourth, fifth person bonus, quiz out that error, air out. I actually had what question number they quizzed out on or aired out on, um, the name of the team, the meet, the, the date, the location, all of this. And so you could run really cool um, data. Like I, I developed a, a total score type metric, which included if you um, got any bonuses, and I think it gave it, it basically included bonuses into the t- the individual's score. Um, and you could see like, oh, this quizzer quizzed out without error, was a third person and got two bonuses, correct? and no incorrect bonuses. Mm-hmm. and it was it was fun for me to be able to see like, these are the quiz, the individual quizzes where the quizzer scored the most points for their team in one quiz, or what quiz had the team that quizzed out the most? You know, like oh my goodness, four team members quizzed out in this one quiz, um, or they got 18 correct as a team, or um, or they got 13 wrong as a team. Right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, there's all sorts of really interesting stats that you can pull out that aren't useful for competitive purposes, really. Um,
0: But they are another way to bring interest to quizzing. Right. Indeed. Yeah. So, I mean, for spectators or like, yeah, if you've got the uh, color commentary going on, uh, obviously you couldn't do that in the room. uh, But if you were broadcasting the quizzes and having live commentary, that could be uh, that could be pretty exciting. Mm hmm. What other kind of stuff? Before we move on to A three, um, sticking with A two, what kind of what kind of other improvements can you uh, think of?
1: I mean, there is nothing stopping the data from it is input once by the scorekeeper or by the by the quizmaster as part of their quiz mastering. Um, so it's input once, and then it is immediately available for all of the downstream purposes that we have talked about with no more human intervention. Like, yeah. that's, that's that's absolutely possible. And if there's no human intervention moving data from point A to point B, no human can make an error moving data from point A to point B. And, so, and that's why, like, CBQZ seems like it could be the perfect interface mm-hmm. because if a quizzer has to click on a quizzer to start their 30-second timer and then has to specify... A result of of that question to be able to move to the next question that's literally all that's required for score
0: because yeah. everything
1: everything else is contextual um, that a scorekeeper is like eyeballing to match up like which team was it and which quizzer and then um, but and then they're they're only making specific notations for the benefit of the statistician but if you don't have a statistician we don't need specific notation. (laughs) We just need
0: the quizzer and the result. That's all you need. Yeah, indeed. Well, I mean, you're starting to sound like Dave Beatty too. Uh, He is, you know, in his, you know, jovial Dave sort of way, uh, teasing and nagging me that CBQZ should at some point just take over and we deprecate scorekeepers and statisticians. The problem is that I, I, sort of side injected scorekeeping into cbqz as a as an afterthought and i did a terrible job of architecting it um i i basically did it in a what is the what is the least difficult way to just make it work uh rather than a way that actually will be usable and in in you know and, and expandable and that sort of stuff and i added a whole bunch of cruft into the the system in doing so and i sort of painted myself into a corner and i have lacked the motivation to go back and fix it um these last couple years or so but uh yeah ongoing i mean certainly with a3 and this might be a good you know transition time to a3 so in building quiz sage for a3 this is uh truly this is this is a full-on goal of, of of a3 but i think it kind of has to be because of the com- the scoring complexity of A3. So while A3's ruling rules in terms of like, how a quiz master needs to actually run a quiz and whether a quizzer is correct or incorrect, I think those rules are are, much simpler than A2, certainly from the length of the rule book, A3 is much simpler than A2. I think from, you know, conceptually, uh, A3 is also simpler, as long as you don't talk about, you know, uh, query subtypes, I think then it starts to get a little bit more complex. But in terms of actual scoring, I think there are way more levels of complexity in A3 than in A2. Uh, which doesn't necessarily make the job of the quizzer harder, but it definitely makes the job of the scorekeeper and the statistician significantly more difficult. And there's a much higher risk of error, I would assume. You know, we haven't done full-on quiz meets in A3 yet, but in our practices, uh, you know, we've been relying on the scoring system that's built into the prototype, the alpha prototype of uh, quiz sage to be able to do scoring without that i think it would be very difficult to do it manually i have forgotten a lot of
1: the complexity but i'm starting to remember it now and i think you're right like you almost need a um, a very dumb like interface that's not this grid of possibilities and it's just a scorekeeper like selecting between big big button options right, right. like wh- which quizzer won the jump And then, you know, each level of selection that they can make, you know, verbatim or not, or um, the other, the other levels. And, and then once they've selected all of the levels and the result, all the calculation happens, but they are not needing to do it themselves.
0: Because I think there's a lot of potential for error there. Right. Well, and I mean, even, even in, marking up the virtual score sheet, there's there's a little bit of confusion there because of the syntax. So what I mean by that is, uh, you know, you, you uh, jump on a query or you trigger uh, on a query, you get to select, uh, is it open book? Is it synonymous? Is it verbatim? Are you gonna add a verse? Are you gonna do with reference? There's all these sorts of ways that you can customize it. And when you're doing those things, your score changes both for you and your team, and then, well, are you a follow-up quizzer do you get a bonus because of that? Uh did did somebody who is on your team who is not you get the question the the immediately preceding question correct? Uh, well, if you get the, this one, correct, then you get a bonus. Uh, are you this, uh, second, uh, quizzer bonus or third quizzer bonus that that applies? Are you at your ceiling? Did you do an open, and it's not just about correct or incorrect. It's like, well, you can get a, a question correct, but if you, uh, went open book, then once you hit your ceiling, uh, then you're not getting the ceiling bonus. And then, of course, your ceiling changes based on how many of your queries you responded to open book or not, right? So this the level of complexity that's there is profound. And ideally, we will, actually, probably not even just ideally, I think even in a minimum viable case, I think it would be a good idea to strongly encourage, if not full on require the officials, not necessarily by rule book, uh, but just by best practice to say you really ought to tell the quizzers like, OK, here's your score count or here's your open book versus not or these sorts of things in terms of like how far away are you from your from your ceiling? All of that complexity is significant. And if you were going to I've actually had this question posed to me, a couple of of, of teams that are are churches and, and organizations that are playing around with H3 right now or or CBQ rules They're asking me, hey, do you have a score sheet template that we can use? And I I was like, oh, no, I don't. And it's on my list of things to try to figure out. It's down like about fifth or sixth priority. I've got a bunch of other things I have to uh, do sooner and faster. But but I keep coming back to this, you know, in the middle of the night thinking of like, well, okay, how would I design a score sheet to make this work? I don't know that I can do anything that's not going to be incredibly complicated because sure i can create cells for a you know here's a quizzer and here's a query and so therefore there will be an event for that particular uh query that's fine but then i have to write in i have to invent some sort of notation to be able to say okay well this was an open book versus a verbatim or it was a with reference or whatever it happens to be therefore these are the kind of scores that you get some of which uh trickled uh well I think all of which, no, some, some of which trickle down to the individual's score for the quiz, some of which trickle to the team, but not the individual, right? So there's all these kind of levels of how do you, how do you handle that? And I don't know if there's a way to do that elegantly. So in, in QuizSage right now, i've selected some notation and i forget exactly what the notation is but there's there's um if you see like a a particular symbol that shows up in a an event box you know that symbol is never overloaded it all it always means one and only one thing and therefore i can get a combination of those symbols in a particular event box and then say okay great this is what happened therefore the score is this for the individual for the team and where those teams line up in terms of positions for the quiz. But so in in that sense, a quiz master or, well, sorry, a quiz magistrate or a coach looking at this on a projected scoreboard or or a quizzer for that matter could understand, basically decipher what's happening and understand what what each event is. But those cells are not super obvious to somebody who's coming in from the unquizzed you know, community. Uh, they might come in and say, Well, something happened, but I have no idea what that something is. It's pretty complicated. So I like the idea. And one of the things I've been toying with, and, and something I think I, I, w- I want to put together for IOC, is the ability of this projected scoreboard to say, Okay, while the quizzer is in the process of thinking a- about their response and providing their response, I want the the scoring system to actually say well here's how many points are at stake right so if the if the quizzer, uh triggers in gets the gets the trigger and starts responding open book it'll just have a, a nice one there but if they say okay well I want verbatim with reference at a verse then it's like uh, what is that verbatim is three is is that five in total? I, I don't even remember off the top uh, off the top of my head but then say like okay, well this is five but then it's a second person bonus and it's a follow-up quizzer so that takes you to seven or something like that like like showing those numbers up there uh, in terms of like what is this actually worth relative to the current scoring position of the team I think is gonna be really engaging for the audience. It's almost like watching, I don't know, watching a basketball game and somebody from midcourt tries to throw for what would become a three pointer and you're watching the ball sail through the air. There's a certain level of excitement watching that happen. Or like in the NFL, there's some long bomb Hail Mary uh, kind of thing. And there's a receiver open and you kind of get all excited because are they going to catch it? Or are they going to not catch it? Uh, I think that draws the audience in. So that could be kind of cool.
1: Um, but, are, but are you wanting a way for someone
0: who doesn't know what's going on to be able to
1: kind of know what's going on? Because if you don't know what's going on in football, you don't know why someone is attempting a Hail Mary and what the stakes are.
0: Yeah, that's true. But I mean – That is true, but it's not cricket. Right. So, I mean, you get after watching for, you know, if you know absolutely nothing about football, American football, and you watch a few minutes of a game, you sort of get this idea of like, okay, well, at the end of the field is like where I want the ball to go for some reason. Right. And how it gets there changes the. Uh, the number of points that I get, but getting the ball over there equals good. Therefore, when I see a Hail Mary pass, it's like, oh, there's some sort of dramatic movement happening here that's going to result in points. I may not know exactly how many points it is, or is that mildly cool or extremely cool based on how many uh, where what the score happens to be right now. But I kind of get that sense. So I don't necessarily want somebody who's never heard of quizzing to walk in and fully understand every rule, uh, you know, scoring rule or or scoring situation uh, that's presented. But rather, I want them to have a sense of like, well, in this moment, uh, look, this particular quizzer who has not it's, you know, query Eight, and a quizzer who's never gotten a query before is answering now and could potentially earn seven points, which, which would vault their team from third place to first place based on how tight these teams happen to be. That's enough, I think, to sort of get people engaged into the excitement of the moment.
1: Yeah, I think so. Um, being able to, yeah, at the moment that someone jumps and then selects um, some
0: base subtypes for it to say... This is now what's at stake, right? And then, like, for somebody who is familiar with the syntax, um, or at least the 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 glyphs for, you know, the events that could happen, I think somebody who is a quizzer or somebody who's a coach walking in and seeing the scoreboard can kind of get a sense of of what's been happening with the quiz so similarly like imagine that you're you know on team uh two of of a particular uh church's set of teams and you get done with your quiz and you grab your phone and you open up a, a, a view and you notice that oh yeah your team three is currently on query seven in room two, and you look at that and you say, "Oh wow, look at this this sequence of events that have happened. This is a very exciting quiz, or something along those lines." I think that could be that could be pretty cool. Yeah, it absolutely would be cool.
1: Now, um, you've piqued my interest, and I was going to offer to take a crack at making a H three score sheet template. So I have requirements questions, if I can ask.
0: Yes, go for it. And while you do that, I need to actually pull up the rule book because it's been uh, at least three days since I've looked at it. Therefore, I've forgotten most of it.
1: Well, and my questions aren't going to be about like actual, like as detailed as scoring. Oh, but okay. Would you want a given quizzer's query cell to show what they selected as their um, base subtypes? As their base? Well, you would have to, Am I, right? I, I'm not, I, I may not be using the right terminology, like... Do you want to know like how they got there or do you want it to show
0: four? Well, that's that yeah, that's a, that's a good question. I think MVP wise, I think you could just show the total number, right? Sort of. But you need kind of two different boxes. Like you need the what did this the quizzer get and what did the what did the quizzer earn for themselves? What did the what did the quizzer earn for the team? But you definitely need to know for sure. Like, like this. Let's it, it, so imagine this. This is a scorekeeper in a traditional sense, with a piece of paper and a pencil, and they're ultimately the one responsible for tracking and reporting like here's actually what's happening in a quiz right so even if the quiz magistrate you know uh, kind of loses their position or the coaches forget something or the quizzer's aren't sure the the scorekeeper ultimately is the 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 source of truth right for what's happening in a in a quiz you you absolutely in that scenario i think the scorekeeper absolutely has to track whether something is open book or not because you 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 have to know that information to be able to discern when a quizzer hits their ceiling. And if they hit a ceiling of four, like, do they hit their ceiling and get the ceiling bonus or not? And so you, you absolutely have to track that. Um, I don't think you need to track things like synonymous verbatim with reference or at a verse. So yeah, I don't think MVP wise, you would have to track that, but you but you would absolutely have to track at open book. I'm trying to think of other things that you would need to track beyond that. Okay. Well, I already have an idea um, that is, that is going to be different. <laughs> of course, because <laughs> it's A3. Do you want to talk about it more or do you want to work on it and then uh, showcase it later? But I mean, my idea is it'll be transposed. Okay.
1: Um, so the, the queries instead of running horizontally will run vertically.
0: Mm, And I I, think, yeah,
1: I like this visually, it would let you have a individual and team column. Um, whereas if it's running horizontally and there's just like every two columns, you kind of have to keep track of like, which one's the individual one. It would, it would make summarizing a nightmare. But if it's, um, its own column and you're just having to look vertically down, um, the only thing is, would I just want a free form field for writing in the name of the quizzer that is answering a, each query, or um, would I want to have like all twelve listed and you notate them somehow? you know? right? Um, and so that's just like a data layout problem. Um, but I think it makes sense to have the queries run vertically because then for a given query, it's really clean to be able to say like open book or not, um, or other things like that. Whereas if you're laying out horizontally, there's just not room because you can't have two, three, four cells per query, especially if, cause there could be 36 queries,
0: right? Right. Theoretically. So you're, you're envisioning something on a page that looks not terribly unlike CBQZ's scoring display now, right? Correct. I,
1: I, I can't picture it exactly, but I imagine it would look pretty similar. Actually, no, because you have the twelve quizzers laid out horizontally across the top, right?
0: Yeah. Um, and then vertically. So yeah. So one row is one quiz event. Um, so. Uh, in, and I'm talking CBQZ here, the app, not um, Quiz Sage. Um, although the, the Quiz Sage is using a similar structure uh, in terms of how it's displayed, but, but yeah, basically you've got um, columns for each quizzer, uh, and then a team is in a column that is it's like a macro column. So each quizzer has a a column for. Uh, things that can happen to them. And then there is a team summary column as well. So it, the summary column shows, uh, say, total score based on that particular event. And then it's one row per event that's there, whether it's correct, incorrect, or no jump, or if um, if it's like a timeout or that kind of thing, the, those events uh, all get tracked. Interesting. And is it is teams of three? It's uh, well in CBQZ. It's it's teams of however many. So, it, but in age three, in age three, yeah, it would be it would be teams of three uh, that are there. So it's the age three run. I mean, just to save some time in Quiz Sage, I just use CBQZ's um, uh, layout as inspiration and did something very similar. Uh, the notation is a bit different. So on in the Quiz Sage one right now, which again is 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 an alpha, so things are you know going to be highly flexible uh, over the next couple of months or so but the the leftmost columns are and and they're plural so in 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 CBQZ, the leftmost column that is not a column under the leftmost team is uh, it just says what's the what's the question number um that's it and i think i don't remember if it has a Maybe it has a type in there as well, but I don't remember if it does or not. But in um, QuizSage, those columns are much larger. They have, um, we have a, uh, what question or what query number it is, whether it's A, B, or C. We have what translation uh, that we're using for that particular query. And then we have the queries, um, all of the query subtypes are listed there. So ultimately that's important because the, non-quizzer selected base, or I guess, okay, I should use the the terminology correctly. The base query subtypes are pre-selected and are known and published ahead of the quiz. So all of those are displayed ahead of time so you know query seven I know is going to be a quote query for example right ahead of time that's all displayed and rendered there but then by the time you get to query seven seven then converts to 7a some quiz uh, triggers in gets called and they they uh, say they want to answer verbatim so as a result of that the the quiz magistrate hits a verbatim button and the little V uh, gets added to where it says uh, Q under the type. So it starts as a Q, then becomes a QV, or maybe it's a QVR to add a reference or something like that. I forget what the what the exact uh, labels are, but they, basically those things shift and change as you're moving through. Uh, and then the notation itself, the event is labeled for that particular quizzer. This quizzer got it correct or incorrect and got these kind of conditions as a result. And so the quizzer will have a score, the team will have a score, that sort of thing. Gotcha. So, and
1: are you wanting a template to be designed as a, um, electronic only template?
0: Well, ideally, or a paper
1: only template,
0: ideally paper. I don't know if it's reasonable to be done this way, but, but ideally it would be great if it could be done as paper. Right. And the reason I say this is, um, you know, imagine a quiz meet that is uh, that doesn't have electricity, Right. Um, so, you know, it's it granted most of our quiz meets, actually, all of P&W's quiz meets are are in you know church locations that have uh, Wi-Fi and usually pretty reasonable. But that's not necessarily going to be a guaranteed uh, sort of situation. So, uh, you know, in 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 the age three CBQ universe with Quiz Sage, I can pre-generate all of the quizzes. Uh, all 36 queries and all of the the structure for the quizzes and print those out. And I can publish publicly the, the base uh, subtypes uh, for each of the quizzes. And then I can hold the actual queries confidential and provide them to the quiz magistrates and so forth. So all of what a quiz master needs to do can be pre-generated except for the thesaurus work. Uh, that part really can't. So... Yeah, we'd have to do some sort of like, you know, theoretically, you would print out the 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 generated thesaurus, which would be massive, but you could you could conceivably do it like it it is not impossible to imagine, you know, printing things out and having that available. What can you do from a scorekeeper's perspective to make and and even harder? What can you do for a statistician such that uh, we've got a paper only score sheet that a human with a pencil is filling out? Uh, that a statistician can then read and comprehend and do some some work with. And are you kind of wanting it to
1: also serve, so paper first, uh, but also serve the purposes of input by a scorekeeper, ability to understand by a coach, and ability to tabulate by a, a statistician?
0: Yeah, I think that's necessary. I mean, I mean th- this is one of those things where I don't think it's going to happen all that often, but... In situations where you're up in the middle of the Canadian Rockies and they don't have internet, um, as an entirely hypothetical and unrealistic example, uh, what, what would you do in those uh, situations? You can't rely on necessarily having... Uh, I mean, I, I suppose you could have a computer with a battery, uh, but then how do you get that data... Over to a statistician to actually calculate things. So I think being able to fall back to uh, paper, uh, paper and pencil is going to be a good idea, even though it's probably going to happen, you know, two percent of the time. Makes sense. I think it, I think it's it's doable, but you have to make concessions for each of the scenarios, right, to right. be able
1: to make it work for all of them. Which it's it's just like building software,
0: right. So I mean, certainly. You lose all of the real-time data aspects, and um, you're going to incur a an accuracy penalty. So instead of you know a guaranteed 100% accuracy, you're going to get you know 99, 98% accuracy, that kind of thing. And that's fine. That's just that's that's unfortunate, but um, I think that's the the cost of having the ability to do it with paper. But uh, I think it would be useful to be able to have the paper option. Yeah, for sure. Well, okay. What else do we want to talk about? Uh,
1: um, so we talked about all, just about everything related to stats and pipe dreams and age three and Quizage slash CBQZ. I, mean, I don't know what what else there is in this because I think I think that that ideal future where it's input once in a very validated way. And no one else touches it again is the ideal. and I think it's it's quite attainable,
0: yeah, it is quite attainable. Uh, and i think I think interestingly enough, with a three, we're highly motivated to attain it as our as our v one because to do it any other way seems like it would be harder, even, at least from an accuracy perspective. What do you mean harder? Well, I think it would be harder for a human to actually, I, I don't think I am very confident it would be harder for a human to record uh, CBQ scoring rules on a piece of paper than it would for the quiz magistrate to just click buttons and have everything automatically happen.
1: Oh, sure. OK, I agree with that.
0: But um, maybe there's cases where actually there will po- probably be some cases where we need that. Hmm. All right. Well, on that bombshell, let's uh, let's wrap things up here. So uh, let's see. Want to remind everybody that if you heard anything here that you would like to comment on, if you have any disagreements, you get front of line privileges. But even if you have uh, other ideas or uh, thoughts or you have topic ideas that you'd like Scott and I to dig into in a future episode please email us at IQ at cbqz.org uh, or if you're in Canada the web address is IQ at cbqz.org and uh, on Twitter you can follow us on our Twitter account which is at inside quizzing and for the low low price of zero dollars uh, US or Canadian you can ask us questions in kind of almost near real time on the Bible quizzing uh, Slack forum inside quizzing. And with that, I will say thank you all for listening. And thank you, Scott. Thank you to Griffin for co-hosting and thank you to all of our listeners.